Hey guys, Brian here real quick. I'm really excited to have Cole Hatter on our show today. He really talks about having you know, sort of a change in how he really saw business. And he went from making a lot of money um, to not making very much money, but spending it uh, like crazy with no purpose. And so he really switched his model to purpose driven. And it's really made a difference and it makes a difference in his clients. And, you know, he's, you know, he's somebody that really sees the value in doing good and and giving back and that's really helped him form really who he is today and, and who his company is so this is a great episode i've um, been wanting to have cole on here for a long time plus he talks about thrive which is his conference that's coming up definitely check that out those tickets are uh, on sale right now so cole hatter enjoy this one this is the business machine we talk with small business owners and entrepreneurs to get their advice on how they run their machines these inspirational leaders share with us some of the tools they use to run their machines and talk about some of the mistakes they made along the way and what they learned. As business owners, we're all trying to fuel our machines, create a great team and put tools in place so that eventually our machines will run themselves. So get ready. Up next, the business machines firing up. Hey everyone, welcome back to another exciting episode of The Business Machine. I'm Brian Town, the CEO of Michigan Creative and also the host of The Business Machine. Great episode. Cole Hatter is here and he is an entrepreneur and investor, author, award-winning speaker. He invests in real estate, startups, and several funds exceeding $100 million. He's also the founder of Thrive, which we're going to talk about. I'm super excited about Thrive this year. He is a husband, a father, a philanthropist that strives to give back. Cole's greatest passion is providing a platform to educate and empower entrepreneurs to live their lives and run their companies in a way that makes a measurable difference in the world, something we all need. Cole, thanks a lot for being on, man. My pleasure, Brian. Thanks for having me. So that's a pretty long bio, Whew, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> somebody's walking on the street or you're at Thrive and they don't know who you are. Um, what, what do you tell them you do? Say, hey, hey, so what do you do, Cole? What do you tell them? Well, I invest in people and projects that make me a better person and the world a better place, period. It's, uh, even Thrive is an extension of that, of providing great you know, content from stage with a meaningful purpose behind it. But as an investor, I invest in the tangible, like real estate, startups, etc. But I love investing in people too. So that's my that's my ten second answer. I invest in people and projects that make me a better person and the world a better place. Period. And aren't we when we look at it, like we look at all these businesses out there? But if we look at the real heart and soul of them, there's people behind every single one of them. Correct. Totally. Yeah. So how do we do that as a business owner? If we're thinking, because you know, as a small business owner and an entrepreneur, we're running, we're running, gunning. We don't have time to even work on our business, let alone um, think about trying to give back. I'll put you on the spot a little bit. What are some ways that I can sort of incorporate that and really start to inject that in not only my employees, but in a little bit of everything that we do at our businesses? So there's three very simple ways to do it. I call that a four-purpose business for people that don't want to just make money, right. but want to make a ton of money and a difference at the same time. A great example would be Tom's Shoes or yep. Liston LSTN. It's a, it's a headphone company that's as quality of product as Beats, but they actually take some of their profits and help deaf people hear, which is wow. obviously yeah perfect for a headphone yeah, right, company right. to do, right? Kind of like, yeah, like you said, Tom's with the shoes, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Tom's, for anyone who hasn't heard of Tom's, uh, it's you know for every pair of shoes they sell, they give a pair way to a deserving child or, or person in the, like a third world com country that wouldn't have access to shoes. So uh, it's simple. There's Well, that's one example of giving something away, actual product or service that you, that you provide as a company out of your business model, budging it in and you know, not to uh, burst Tom's bub bubble, right? But <laughs> they build in the cost of that free pair of shoes into the pair you're buying. So sure. it's not just that they're philanthropic in their nature and they give all their money away. The cost of the shoe to be produced, they just tack on what they would have sold the original pairs for anyway. So at the end of the day, they're not losing any money. As a matter of fact, it's proven that they gained greater, sh greater market share because of their cause. So they actually made more money by doing this because they didn't lose any technically inventory because it was built in the cost, you know, the original product purchase. So, so that's one way of doing it. Uh, another way of doing it is for people that provide a service that just cannot uh, be, you know, it's not, uh, let me try to think of an example of someone who, my pool cleaner, right? I mean, he could try to clean pools for free, right? I just saw him this morning in my backyard, so that's fresh in my mind. And he could say, hey, you know what? I'm going to waive your, your costs this month. And that's cool, but it's not going to make a huge difference in my life. And right. It's good his, for you. 
yeah, and so he cleans one pool, does one for free. That doesn't really work, right? So for somebody like that, it might just be a, por a portion of revenue that they choose to just straight up write a check to charity. Obviously, in America, if it's a 501c3, they get a charitable contribution on their tax return. But more importantly, you know, they get to fight a cause or help somebody move forward who is doing a work in the world that resonates with them. And then another way to do it is how you run your business. I have a buddy who has a company here in Southern California that uh, he doesn't give money away and he doesn't give product or services away. The people he hires are for a cause. He actually hires retired veterans wow. who struggle with PTSD and, and have struggle in maintaining um, employment because of some of the things that they've experienced in fighting for our freedom, you know, going on multiple tours. And so he has a soft spot being a veteran himself for vets who were literally traumatized in war and for whatever reason struggle with, with maintaining, you know, consistent employment. And so he's created a program for them to help them work through that. And he guarantees them that if they stay in the program, he'll keep giving them a check. And he then strictly employs people who are retired veterans, or I guess that's redundant, but we're uh, veterans. And so uh, that's a business model where he's keeping all of his money and he's not giving product or services away, but he's making a difference in the veteran community by hiring them and creating a program for them. So essentially, it's just any way that you can use your business as a tool to do good in the world. That's a for-purpose business. So let me put you on the spot again, man. Like, so why? why? Why do you do that? Why do you think, and you gave a good example with Tom's, like, I, I think they're doing it for a reason, but they could have just charged the same price for their shoes and no one would know the difference and not give anything. But it obviously brought value to their company and they increased their sales because of what they're doing. And I think they are, like you said, who, who they are today because of what they're doing. But why do you want to do that? So let's first talk about the economics and let's let's talk about the heart. From an economic standpoint, there are dozens of consumer reports that show that people would rather do business with a social company or a company that has social impact or how I call it a for-purpose company mm -hmm. than even uh, re major retailers or brands, right? And uh, over 80% of consumers said they would forego on the Levi's or whatever it would be or forego on whatever the, the shoe would be to buy Tom's instead, knowing that essentially they're doing uh, consumer purchasing with a purpose, right? So, yes. so, and then also it's unique branding that, you know, why did Tom's, who's just another of a million shoes company, grab the market share it did? And well, it, you know, they were really the first to, to utilize this business model. But the reason that Tom's, because if you know Tom's shoes, they're, they're now are totally diversified. My, my wife has a pair of like, uh, what are those things? Wedges. There they go. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me and women's shoes. Yeah, you, know, you should. You, <laughs> I'm surprised yeah, you even know what they're called, but good job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so, so she has so now they have like an entire shoe line, but their original shoe was nothing exciting. It was no. literally a slip on. It looked more like a slipper than a shoe. Right. How did they capitalize? And how is uh, Blake, who founded the company, worth $300 million now? It was that unique branding that they were a purposeful company, which you know attracted the hearts of the consumer. So from an economic standpoint, it's proven that not only can companies get a larger share of the marketplace, but then at the same time, consumers will choose them over a competitor, knowing that, hey, a shoe is a shoe, but this one, somebody benefits in the world, I'll go with them. So I feel a little bit better about that purchase. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. From a, from a heart standpoint, it's just the right thing to do. I mean, at the end of our lives, and regardless of what people believe happen next, whether it's heaven or you just die or reincarnate, or regardless, we can all agree that this life that we have is, you know, our days are, are only so many that we get. And when those days end, no one is going to stand around our grave and talk about our cars or the square no. footage in our homes right. or the fantastic vacations that we took. They're going to talk about the meaningful difference we made with the resources we have. And so that could be as simple as volunteering. You don't need to be an entrepreneur to make a difference in the world. But what I have found is that when money no longer matters and you get to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, however you want, and again, money is, is there and you've got it, your opportunities for making a positive impact in the world exponentially increase because you don't have to worry about grinding out 40, 50 hours a week at a job. You're free financially. So from a, from a number standpoint, it makes sense. And then just from living a life that matters, it makes sense because when Blake's gone, no one's going to talk about the quality of his shoes. They're going to talk about the millions of people that wore shoes because of him. Right. They're going to talk about that story and, and why that's such a cool shoe brand. You're exactly right. It's kind of what it's more about what we leave behind with other people. I think your message then just gets spread forever almost at that point. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And then again, that's what matters at the end of the day. So talk about Cole, when did you come to that point where you're like, ha, this is what I want to do. This, this is the company that I'm going to start. And this is where 
and I'm going to do this because we love talking to the entrepreneurs and the startups and the businesses to talk about that first couple days or that first couple months of the business to see really how we came to that sort of aha moment that this was the right thing to do. So my business has been a bit of an evolution. I, from 21, when I became an entrepreneur through 25 and a half, 26, made a ton of money. I was exclusively investing in real estate and I was in the right place at the right time. The market was booming. And for any of your listeners who are U.S. citizens, we all remember what happened to our economy and to real estate in 2008. That's right. And so I lost everything. Uh, You know, it wasn't as dramatic as bankruptcies and all that stuff, but I had to fire sale everything I owned to lower my overhead to virtually nothing and went from making, you know, six figures in a month, not every month, but I was having six figure months regularly, uh, in my early twenties to ultimately making probably 30,000 for the whole year. And, you know, I, I realized a few things, but one of the things I realized of having money and now having not any money at all was that, uh, you know, as exciting as it was, and I was way too young to make the money I was making. I bought Escalades and put <laughs> I I, you did. No, no joke, put five TVs in it because one's oh not enough. God. You need five, right? Like in, in every headrest, there was a TV and then a drop down in the middle, right? So five TVs, a $100,000 wakeboard boat. I mean, I thought I'd made it. And I realized that as exciting as that was, and my friends who a lot of which still lived at their parents' house, hopping in my Escalade, pulling my boat out to the sure. river for the weekend was, was fun. But the way that I was raised, uh, you know, growing up in the church and, and doing humanitarian works with my church, it wasn't what I felt was the best use of my money. And now that it was gone, I had regret of saying, you know what, I should have been more purposeful with what I did with my money because now all that stuff that I bought has been sold and is gone and I have nothing to show for it. So at that time, you, w- you weren't doing the giving back and you weren't running a purposeful company. Yeah, no more than just, you know, tithing at my church and helping sure. someone in need, but it sure, wasn't sure. a part of my daily life or my business model, right? I, I yeah. still was raised with with the principles of being generous, but not as like a day-to-day routine, like when it came up or when the plate was passed at church, throw some dollars in it, right? But I bet your, and, bu- your buddies weren't complaining. Uh, exactly. Well, <laughs> it still aren't because now it's it's more of the same, actually. But, <laughs> right, right. but uh, so so I took like this sabbatical, if you will, where I moved to Mexico and lived down there for seven months um, off what was left of my savings, no longer actively making any money at all. This was now 2010 and reevaluating my life. And, you know, I'm sure that will come up with with some of the questions that you asked me in, in a few moments. And when I decided to come back and, and re get started in entrepreneurship, I decided, you know what? I'm going to make a difference with my money this time and I'm going to make a difference with my business. And so, you know, having had the money, having not had the money, uh, I decided I'm going to pursue making money again, but for a different reason. You know, Simon Sinek says, start with why with his book. And so uh, first starting with why I want to do business and, and not just knowing what to do, but why I'm doing it and really applying that principle and, and creating what I call absolute truths around my businesses to then come back to America, start up my old business in real estate and others as well. Uh, and I've now, you know, excited and blessed to report I make more money now than I ever have in my entire entrepreneurial career. And at the same time, I'm making a bigger difference in, in every way I make my money in every company I do. So, you know, now, heaven forbid, I lose it all again, which, which is fine. I at least have something to show for it. Like, oh, I had to sell my cars, my houses or whatever, which, you know, knock on wood, let's not hope that happens. But in the meantime, there are literally thousands of people whose lives were forever changed along the way. And that's like true equity. That's true wealth, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. So tell us in 10 years, I know 10 years is a lifetime for technology and and even a business too, because who knows what we're going to be doing in 2026. But where do you see, you know, pretend you could fly through and you could go through Thrive. And I do want to get to Thrive here in a minute. But, you know, what does 10 years look like for Collider? 10 years from now, I will be producing movies, uh, continuing to host Thrive and spending time with my family and my three kids. I only have two right now, but I know in 10 years, I'll have a third. Good. Um, And uh, just traveling a lot. And so, you know, my my passion, and when I say producing movies, I I have no interest in being in front of the camera. But uh, I'm already partnering with some people that are producing small budget films, like $5 million films with a projected box office of anywhere from 30 to 50 million, probably in only about 500 theaters nationwide, and then going to DVD. So definitely the independent small film market, Mm -hmm. but films that illustrate essentially what you and I are talking about of telling the story instead of just breaking it down like we are on this podcast of through someone's life example of telling the story of what it looks like to thrive, what it looks like to make a difference in the world. Uh, so I'll be doing that and because uh, I'm starting that now, but hopefully doing that pretty much exclusively and then thrive, which is my passion and then my family. That's what 10 years looks like for me. Very cool. So let's talk about thrive. What is that and how new is it? And 
how did you really come up with the idea to do Thrive? And tell us a little bit of how last year went. Yeah, so Thrive was uh, kind of the culmination of my life experiences. Um, I, you know, had some near-death experiences, which put me on the course to entrepreneurship of of why I became an entrepreneur to begin with. And um, again, with what this, what I've already told you of making money and just spending it, then losing it all, then making it all back, and now making my money matter. Everything came together like a perfect recipe of saying, you know what, I have personally lived both ways, making money just for money's sake and making money to make a difference. And along the way of now having been successful, I've made some great relationships with some really influential people. Let's throw an event where I get all these people together and let's teach an audience over a weekend how to succeed in today's economy, how to kill it in, t- in business today, not theoretically, but the actual, you know, what the application of business in today's economy looks like of just knocking it out of the park and then wrapping all up with the, with the four purpose business model of what it looks like to not just be successful, but significant. And so reached out to some close friends of mine last year, like Tucker Max, Lewis Howes, Adam Braun, um, uh, Jordan Harbinger, and just some, some buddies I had. And then, uh, through one person removed, you know, got Gary Vaynerchuk to come and speak, which he now have since become great buddies, Robert Hershevek from Shark Tank. And we just had this unbelievable lineup of 22 different speakers that literally for three days just blew people's mind because they're all making millions of dollars a year, if not a week. And uh, so how to make money and then ultimately how to make it matter. And I thought it would be a one-year event, but it was so well-received that uh, on Sunday, the last day of the event, I committed to the audience of doing it again. And so we're we're preparing now for for Thrive number two. So right Uh, there and then you're like, yeah, we're doing this again. Yeah, exactly. We didn't have plans. We hadn't thought it really through because, uh, you know, it's not easy throwing an event of, especially for a first year event of figuring everything out yeah, along the way. Yeah. And we got 450 people to show up. So for a first year event, that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, it was, it was a lot of work. And so I said, Hey, you know what? This is kind of like my service to the world. I'm glad people enjoyed it and I'm out. But by Sunday I, I was like, okay, this, <laughs> this is going to come into an annual event and, and you know, the foreseeable future. So thrive number two is what we're working on right now. And, um, that's just it. It's just, just like I said, bringing together the best business minds in the world to teach people how to make money and then ultimately go out and make their money matter. So it sounds like you had some really good guests. I imagine you're going to have some of the same people on there, but somebody who's listening to this is like, you know what, man, I'm a small business. I'm a solo entrepreneur. I don't even know these guys sound way too big for me. Who can come to this and who should come to this? Well, that exact person you just described, uh, people who aren't even entrepreneurs, business professionals. So although the majority of the speakers are entrepreneurs, they obviously run companies. Sure. And so people who don't necessarily own a company but work within it benefit tremendously from Thrive because the owner of businesses are talking about how to do well within their own companies. And so for anyone who's business-centered, right, like for, for someone who's not interested in business at all, or for someone who's not interested in giving back at all, then do not, you know, thrives a waste of your time. But for someone who wants to do better in their career or in their business, regardless of how much money they're making, and then has, you know, the heart to want to not give all their money away, live your dream life and do it without guilt because within your means, you're living your dream life and have enough to somehow give back in a meaningful way. Like, let's go back to Tom's. Blake's worth $300 million. He's not some martyr. He's killing it. He can afford to do anything he wants with the rest of his life, but he's actually making a difference in the world. Anyone who falls into that category, Thrive was specifically designed for them. So when can we sign up? You, You said it's going live as we speak. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know when this podcast will go live, but literally these moments that we are recording this, it is actually going live this second. Cool. Uh, So at the point of this becoming live, anyone can go to the website and check it out. Awesome. So we'll put all that in the show notes too. So Cole, give us, I'm going to put you on the spot one more time here. You know, from that, I'm sure there was like a 1 million things that you really took from that and people took from that conference. And I was looking over some of the reviews and testimonials and it was just mind blowing. Give us some tips, some listeners right there. What is some one solid thing that you know that if we do this or one particular thing that if we're thinking about, you know, we're an entrepreneur and there's some things that, you know, we don't really know about or we don't know how to, our companies aren't running exactly like we thought. What's some things that I really should focus on and what's a good step process that I can do to make sure that I'm going to thrive in business as well? 
I would say be patient and don't start before you're ready. So what I see a lot of entrepreneurs do and, and a lot of early mistakes is they get an idea. Okay, so this is hard to explain. They get an idea and they start, which is important. You need to start and not just suffer from paralysis of analysis, right? But so, so getting started immediately and putting skin in the game is important. But what I see people do is build a business model before they've taken the time. Now, that doesn't mean years. It could sure. be days. But taking the time to really figure out what they want their business to look like. I did that the wrong way the first time around, and I no longer owned my business. My business owned me. Right. And I hear that a lot. What I, yeah, exactly. And so what I learned uh, in Mexico in my you know my hiatus, if you will, from from everything, not just business, but from life, uh, is that I created what are called absolute truths, and there are several absolute truths that whether it's my own business or an opportunity to joint venture with someone or whatever, they absolutely must fit into my absolute truths without bending at all. And what I do this time is I have my life that I build my business around instead of building my life around my business. And so as long as my income opportunity falls within the parameters of what my absolute truths are, then for me, it's way easier to succeed because I'm working within my skill sets, my strengths, and I'm doing meaningful work, which is part of my absolute truths. And things come together, magical things, if you will, come together. And so from from a action perspective for your listeners, what I would suggest they do is come up with what their absolute truths are. Yeah. This isn't a dream board. This isn't, you know, what a dream day looks like. A dream this board. This is yeah, this is this is you know, true or false, and everything has to hit true. Like, you know, true or false, does this business do X? Like for me, for one it, for one point, I have to be able to live anywhere to do my business. Yep. I have no interest in moving. My entire family lives within 30 minutes of where I live in each direction, so I'm not going anywhere. But my wife and I love to travel, and we, you know, we might be buying second homes in certain parts of the country, etc. I have to be able to run my companies from anywhere in the world that I have a phone and internet. So that's an absolute truth. Uh, and and obviously, we talked about the meaningful impact. It has to have some social cause. That's an absolute truth. And so when you put together, I've got about 11 absolute, not about, I have 11 absolute <laughs> truths that my business has to fall into. And when I am patient, so I get started immediately, but when I'm patient to make sure that I'm crafting my business around those absolute truths, the result is not only profitability, but it's a business that I love to do. And instead of dreading my own company and hating something that I've created, which I did my first round right. of, of business. I'm now doing something I love because it's custom tailored to my lifestyle and to the difference I want to make in the world. So for, you know, everybody will have different absolute truths. Uh, I would suggest that people spend some time and it's not always what your day looks like. You know, one of my absolute truths is I want to do something that my daughters, cause I have two little girls that my daughters are proud of. That's, that's something that when someone says, what does your daddy's do or what does your daddy do? Excuse me, that my little girls, you know, proudly with a smile say, my dad does this. That's an absolute truth for me. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've had some opportunities to invest in some companies that, as an angel investor that went off to become extremely successful and I would have killed it. But the product or service wasn't morally something that I wanted. You know, one was a dating service that's more, I'll, I'll keep names anonymous, but it's more geared towards like casual hookups, oh, gotcha. which from a profitability standpoint, it's yeah. blown up. You know, for people who just want to do that, hey, good for them. That's their life. But having little girls, would <laughs> would I want my little girls to know that daddy got rich giving the people the money they needed to build an app where people just casually get together and whatever happens, happens. And, and you so, would hope to hell that they never use that app. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and something I hope they never find out. So <laughs> that's it's, right. it's like, that's an absolute truth for me, right? So if people spend the time to build their absolute truths, they will, they will have companies they're proud of that make a difference. And most importantly, probably that works around their lives instead of their lives working around their company thin air and then making it a business that makes money. Nothing's more exciting to me than saying, holy cow, 90 days ago, we were sitting on the couch or in my backyard in the pool discussing this. And look, we just made $10,000 this month right. with something we just thought of 90 days. That gets me so fired up. But I am not an operator. Once it's up, I don't want to sit around and have anything to do with it anymore. And so what I am naturally born weak at, because we have natural born strengths and weaknesses, one of my weaknesses is follow through. And so one of the ways that I've gotten around that in my own life is learning scalability of business and outsourcing. And I, as quickly as I can, while still having health within the company, will start replacing myself immediately so that ultimately my only job is to get paid to solve problems and make decisions, period. Yeah. I say that I'm a high-paid decision-maker and problem-solver and firefighter because i got to put out the fires too. So that's ultimately 
my biggest weakness and I still suck at it. And you know, now that I'm aware of it, they say the first, what is it? The first step of addressing a problem is acknowledging <laughs> yeah, there is one. That's so, helpful. Yeah, I'm aware of that now. And so, so I am getting better. Right. And you know, I've enrolled personal coaching. We can go as deep down the road into that as you want, but to address the issue, I've done a lot of things, but I'm still weak at it. I still already see myself you know, with some of the things I've got on my to-do list, pushing it back because it's just boring to me now. I've been doing it for too long. Like my real estate business, for instance, it would be triple the size it is right now if I was ex as excited about it as I am today as I was in 2005 when I started it. Yeah, but it's no it's, fun for you, right? Yeah, it's, just, it's, still, it's not as fun. No, because right. I've been doing it forever. It's not a challenge. It's, it's old, right? So, so the point is how I've gotten around that is outsourcing, right? So what I'm bored of doing, I just don't do anymore. I just make the ultimate decisions in real estate. I handle all the money in my company of what what's funding, what deal, et cetera, because I'm not a realtor. I'm an investor, so I buy, fix, and sell or buy, fix, and hold real estate. I make those critical decisions, but I have other people doing all my marketing and all my answering inbound calls and all of, all of that stuff that I just don't want to do anymore. So yeah. um, that's how I've gotten around that. And then what that's allowed me to do, your second question is, how do I have like like that work-life balance is because the minutia of my business and all my businesses for that point are for the most part outsourced. Uh, there's a book by Michael Gerber that's called The E-Myth. Yeah, I'm reading and that he, right now. I, I oh, say, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Cool. So for any of your listeners, you should pick it up. It's a quick read. It's like 200 pages you yep. can read in a weekend. And uh, he talks about the difference between a technician who does everything and an entrepreneur who outsources. And, you know, a technician, oh, my pool guy, perfect example. So he owns his own business. It's his own company. It's his name on the side of his truck door. Yeah. But he was a dude that was just cleaning my pool. And that's not to take anything away from him. Uh, he's self-employed, but he's a technician because he physically showed up to clean my pool and is exchanging his time for dollars. What an entrepreneur would do is have 15 of pool cleaners out there cleaning 15 pools at once so that although now he has more overhead because he has employees to pay, they are bringing in 10 times what they cost. And instead of ever picking up a net or cleaning a pool again, he gets to be wherever he wants to run his company, managing his team who are going out and clean the pools for him. That's an example of an entrepreneur. And so reading that book and then implementing it one step at a time in my businesses is how I've, number one, the original problem continue businesses instead of stopping because other people are doing it for me. And then number two is what has allowed me to create that work-life balance because my pool, my poor pool cleaner literally spends nine hours a day cleaning pools. Sure. What if instead he had 15 dudes cleaning pools for him, he would be able to grow his business by 15 times because he wouldn't only be in one place at one time. He'd be able to be servicing 15 pools at a time. I guarantee you he'd be able to carve out a few hours in the morning to have breakfast with his family, a few hours in the afternoon to have lunch with his wife and a few hours in the evening to be home before his kids got home from school and literally would run his life first, his business second. You should talk to him. You should go out there and talk to him. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've, I've given him some help. I've got him on some social <laughs> channels. He's got a Yelp now. So Does he's he good for him, man? Business. Yeah, exactly. I was like, dude, you need to go on Yelp ASAP. So <laughs> he's that's probably like, what's Yelp? Well, no, he'd heard of it, but yeah. he didn't realize that he could even do it as a pool cleaner. I thought it was just for restaurants. So he's getting most of his business now through Yelp. So good, man. Good. I've got to renegotiate and have him clean my pool for free now. Yes, absolutely. You should do some trade for him, brother. You and, should. And to anyone who's in a similar industry, like gym trainers, yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah. I worked out this morning. It's it's, it's no knock on you. It's, it's not that you're not a good entrepreneur or a good business owner. There's just a better way to run your business. That's all. Well, and I, I love the example in that book too, when they talk about the woman who has the pie shop, because she, everybody told her like, Oh my gosh, your pies are amazing. You should go make pies and you should sell pies. You should open up a pie company. And then shortly after that, she hated baking pies. Totally. Yep. And she couldn't stand it. All she all she used to love was baking pies, but now she was baking pies way too much. And so I love that story. So that's a great book, and everybody suggested that to us too. So I would definitely pick that up. Perfect. Give me a mistake. We talked about some of the mistakes that you made early on, and not really focusing on what you thought you should, and, and those simple truths um, as well, absolute truths. What are some mistakes that you commonly hear entrepreneurs making and business owners? Okay, so. Let's see. Uh, some of the mistakes I see entrepreneurs making and business owners, I would say uh, sales cures all. And so a lot of people are focusing on um, branding, which is all important. 
But uh, there, so let me let me explain this in a very simple way. If you don't have revenue coming in, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter. It doesn't and matter so what you your logo have, looks like, right? Exactly. You can have the sexiest logo, or the best brand messaging, or the sexiest right. website, or uh, really have done a great job, you know, distinguishing yourself in your marketplace. But if no one's buying from you, it doesn't matter. And so, people, I think, love getting ready to get ready. And it's almost a form of procrastination. I think the biggest thing that people need to realize early and one of the mistakes that entrepreneurs make, myself included, so I'm speaking not down on people, I'm speaking from experience right now, is we get confused on the difference between being busy and being productive. Being, pre- being busy, I can fill nine hours of my day doing business-related activity, but if it doesn't move the needle forward in right. my company, it's been almost wasted time. Even if I say, look how clean my desk is now, and I've now got my monitor set up for my laptop, <laughs> and I bought a new laptop, so now I can service clients. And it's you're busy doing things for your business, but at the end of the day, cool, you've got a clean desk. No one bought anything from you. You've got monitors now to work on, but nobody bought anything from you. So I think since your question was geared towards beginner entrepreneurs, yeah. man, go out there and freaking grind it out. Even if you are a technician at first, grind it out because now that you have top revenue growing exponentially, you know, double digits a year or even a quarter or better a month, cool. Now go buy your monitors. Now make sure your desk is clean, etc. And so I see people focusing on being busy and not productive. And no matter what people's product or service is, they're selling something. That's the way that we work in a capitalist economy. You only make money by selling something to improve somebody's life, whether it's your product, service, etc. And so I would suggest for someone getting started, your conversation and thoughts should be around how to grow top line revenue and not how to just be busy answering emails, etc. Unless those emails are sales clients or sales men and women that are going to go start selling for you, right? And so uh, I think that's the biggest mistake is people start a business with you know their savings account and they have X amount of months of runway before they're out of money and they don't get cash flow positive before they're out of cash because they didn't start making money soon enough. They were too busy getting ready. So yeah. that would be a huge mistake I see entrepreneurs make that it's like, Dude, go sell first, then get you know all your business stuff lined up. Now you talked earlier about delegation, and you talked about like how you're the idea person, but you don't like to finish. And so we need somebody to be able to finish that for us, and we need the right people in there. I'm pretty confident most of us know how to get the right people, but one of the things I want to know really from you is how do you make sure? Because you're very, you know, you love what you do, and you're very passionate about what you do. You know your mission. You know your eleven ultimate truths, and what. What do you, how do you communicate that to the people that are working for you to make sure they're as passionate as you are in what you're doing? Because no one's going to be more passionate and better to run the company than you yourself. But we've got to have the other people in our company at least have some of that in order to do the very best. So how do you do that? Brian, if you can figure that out, I will. will (laughs) I'm working on it, man. Child after you. I am working on it. Literally, almost word for word, the conversation my wife and I were having yesterday at lunch. And, uh, you know, we were in a great spot overlooking the ocean, just getting away the two of us, which, you know, with a three month old is we've been, this is like the second time we've been alone, just the two of us. I know how that goes. I've got four kids, so I hear you, brother. Oh, yeah. So you get it. So one of my greatest frustrations right now is how do I get people to love my business like I do? And my wife looked me in the face and said, they don't, right? Why would they? And so what I found, though, because I have some extremely loyal people is, number one, if you treat people right, number one, right? Like, don't be a dick. If you treat people the way that people <laughs> that's want right to be there. treated, that's, that's my next book, right there. That's yeah, it. Don't be a dick. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Then, but number two, I'm being uh, as as unoriginal as this thought may be. Like compensation, if you pay people what they're worth or what they feel they're worth, sure. then they stick around. And so, as far as them. Like I literally dream about business because um, my brain never turns off, right? It's one of the side effects of ADHD is what I'm told. And so I go to bed and then while I'm sleeping, I dream about real life business problems I have <laughs> or I just dream about business. Not every night, of course, but like it's – so I'm, I am literally emotionally invested in my company. No one else is. But the way I can get them to perform like they are is number one, they either have equity in the brand. So yep. they are financially incentivized for it to work well because should there ever be a sell out or 
whatever, they've built their own ownership, right? So they could be a minority shareholder, et cetera, where they're tied in for the long run and the big picture. Uh, Commission-based salaries where they have a, a baseline salary if needed, but then it's commission-based on performance. Yep. They perform at high levels, even if they're not emotionally invested in the company like I am. They know that whether they eat or not that month is based off their performance exclusively. I've found that that gets people to work very hard. Uh, again, uh, treating people with respect. Another thing that goes a long way, and in some cases even more so than money, is recognition. We all like dollars, but we love that that public pat on the back. And so creating some type of a recognition system within your company, whether you have a big enough company, you have employee of the month, like that wasn't made up on a whim and companies don't follow that policy on just, you know, a gut instinct. People, people fight hard. Uh, I guess metaphorically fight hard to be the top dog in whatever it is they're doing for that simple shout out or bragging, right? So, having recognition is important as well. And so how to get them to emotionally invest or, or love my business like I do, I haven't yet figured out, but how to work for me loyally, how to be happy and not disgruntled and how to produce for me. I would say treat with respect and recognize. We can throw those into one category, recognize them for their efforts, treat them with respect. Number one, number two, give them equity and emotion or uh, sorry, um, a financial incentive of doing well, or then B make their pay based on a scale or commission only where they are only paid to perform. And I would say for me, that's been what's worked the best. Yeah. I like all those too. And it's just, you know, you can talk how much and how cool and, and what you're doing, but pay is, is usually the one that comes up. And even in today, it's, I mean, if you want to go to one thing, it's about pay. Sometimes that's not enough, but that is a good place to start. And I do like that incentivizing them to with commission base, even if they are salary. And we finally found a way to do that here. And I think that's really helped. And I think they appreciate that too. And they work a little bit harder when they're at speaking events, if they can get commission, if they bring a client in and so on and so forth. So yeah, yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough. I mean, you really, and sometimes I have to like get passionate again about what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, this is, this is exactly what we should be doing at the right thing. Cause running a small business, I think is sometimes probably the hardest thing most people have ever done. Yeah, well, it is. It's not for everybody. You know, everyone looks at Gary Vee or Hershevec or you or myself or whatever, and they say, man, look how good their life is. But what you don't see on our Facebook pages or what you don't see in the public eye is me being up until four o'clock in the morning and then back up at 6 a.m. trying to solve a problem in my business that is literally costing me thousands of dollars a day or the freaking sleepless nights when I'm in, you know, a legal dispute with previous business partners, which is, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in business or, um, is partnering with the wrong people. And we can talk about that if you want to, or, you know, whatever it is, they, I, I don't, I don't post on Facebook. Well, you know, in the middle of a lawsuit right now with a, <laughs> should, you know, a should have done that. Yeah. A yeah, hole that I shouldn't have been in business with. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, so, you know, that's one thing to make clear too, is, is understanding that entrepreneurship isn't easy, but it's worth it. Well, uh, I can, it's totally worth it. Yeah. And I think also we feel sometimes, at least I do, is that as CEOs and owners of businesses, we're com- sometimes, and I like to call it the lonely CEO island, where I know there's that exists somewhere. There's a bunch of CEOs over there that are just lonely because we're kind of on this island by ourselves. Is we can't really talk about to sometimes our friends and family. We can't talk about publicly on Facebook when we're worried about things or when things aren't going so well, like a a legal dispute. And we definitely don't feel comfortable all the time telling our employees because if they get worried, then maybe they start looking for other jobs. So one of the things that people always tell us to do, and we tell a lot of our listeners and people that we run into, is there's lots of other people that are in the same exact position that you are. So mastermind groups, getting with people that are entrepreneurs and who have been there. Usually when that happens and you tell these kind of stories, everybody just nods their heads and laughs and go, yeah, that happened to me last week. Yeah. And those support groups are important. I mean, you know, marriage isn't easy either, right? It's, it's totally worth it. It's not easy and it's natural to, for some people to go to counseling or marriage groups, et cetera, to have other couples who have been married 40 years. I'm going to be married five years this September. Be like, oh yeah. We, and by the way, my wife and I are great right now, but of course in the (laughs) next, you know, the rest of my life as I'm married to her, she and I will have challenges. And so it's, you know, people understand that in, in the world of relationships because most people have been or are in relationships now and can see the value of having a marriage counselor slash therapist or even going to marriage 
marriage groups where you can hang out with couples that have been married 50 years instead of five years. And that principle applies to entrepreneurship as well. I'm, I'm a huge fan of mastermind groups of plugging in with people who I've been doing this 11 years now of people who have been doing this for 50 years and make yeah. more money in a, in a week than I make in a year say, Oh, I remember where you are. I was there in 72. And it's just, uh, it's, it's moral support and it's an outside perspective on where you're stuck to help you get through it. And I remember telling somebody about cash flow and how it's just always a challenge. It seems like or not necessarily, but it's like, you have to make sure we keep bringing revenue in the door. And I was talking to somebody who was in business, you know, they had like 120 employees, 200 employees, and they've been in business now for 20 years. And they're like, Oh yeah, we have those problems too. Just add another zero to it, but you'll get through it. <laughs> so, right. Exactly. Yeah, it was kind of comforting. It was kind of like, shit, I thought it yeah. gets better. You know, it's like, wait a minute. So how do you recharge? What do you do for fun, man? Because I, I, I know if you're like I am and, and you're always thinking business and when you wake up, you're thinking business and you could be running your business 24-7 if you really had to. But there's got to be a time when you take a break and do something that recharges. What do you do? Cars. I'm obsessed with cars. Um, I collect cars. I have a couple of race cars. And so I'll uh, go race a car. It's it's literally better than therapy. I can be completely spun out on just exhaustion or you know a frustrating thing or whatever, just wanting to take a joyride. And uh, I'll hop in my car, and no matter what problems I had when I fired it up, by the time I pull back into my driveway, I'm totally good. So that's probably my biggest go-to lately are my cars. Um, I live in Orange County, California. I was born in Newport Beach, so I was you know on the sand, born and raised. Yeah. So the, the beach and surfing and the ocean. Is, is a great getaway for me. Don't surf quite as much now as I used to, um, but uh, you know, surfing is a great outlet. And then just my family. It's as cliche as that might sound. I really am a big fan of my wife and daughters, and so <laughs> well, that's good to hear. We, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're not convenient or whatever. They are literally my everything. And so uh, I, I love, I love getting away. I love uh, yesterday at. 2.30 p.m., you know, I shut everything down and went to the beach with my wife and cool. ate at one of our favorite restaurants, like I said earlier, overlooking the ocean, just talking about life, business, our kids, etc. And so those little outlets of ending the day at 2.30 and spending four hours with my wife, getting back just in time to feed the girls and put them to bed uh, is a great outlet for me as well. Sounds um, like a perfect day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. It's 75 degrees, sunny. It's, it's like uh, right out of a movie. It's always 75 and sunny there, though. Yeah, it's true. Welcome to California. <laughs> I won't tell you what the weather's like here in central Michigan, but all right, man, I was a, I was an educator for a long time. So I passed out a bunch of cheesy quotes. Give me, give us a quote that you love and you, you like to use and share with other people. Something I live by. The author is John C. Maxwell. Dude's written over a hundred books. Yep. And in one of his books called thinking for a change, he had a quote that jumped out of the pages and, and then you know, it served me well. And he says, the truth is you can spend your life any way you want, but you can only spend it once. And, uh, I have that written down on my desk right here. And you know, when it comes to the purposeful aspect of my business, to the type of father I want to be and husband, etc., I only get one chance at this. And so, uh, again, regardless of what anyone's religious beliefs are or aren't after death, we can all agree that we get one shot at this current life. Yeah. And so, uh, the, the truth is we can do anything we want with our 80, 90 years we have, uh, if we're long, if we're blessed to live that long, sure. but, uh, we only get one shot at those 80, 90 years. So make them count. And the clock's ticking, man. And what's that? The clock's ticking always. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, it is. Give us a book. I know we talked about E-Myth. Give us another business book that we'll read more than the first 20 pages of. Uh, so I'll go back to that one. I just mentioned, uh, thinking for a change, John C. Maxwell, yeah. it's on leadership, which it's not going to teach you how to do online marketing or any of that stuff. But, uh, uh, I got a tremendous amount of value that I've applied into my business life. Um, oh man, I'm in the middle of reading one right now by John DeJulius, uh, on how to serve clients. Uh, it, it, mm. hang on, let me, it's not in my office right now. It's downstairs. Let me think about what it's called. And I'll, if I can't think about it on the podcast, you can at least put it in your show notes, yep. but it's by John DeJulius. And they use like the Ritz Carlton as an example of how to provide great customer service. And uh, I can't think to, I'm going to look it up right now, uh, but it's a great, great book uh, that I've learned a lot from. Customers. It might just be called World Class Customer Service. Yep. So the Don, John DeJulius group. So we'll, yeah, we'll put that in our show notes for sure. Cool. 
cool. Yeah, there's all kinds of books we get on. And I think the one that I'm just hooked on is the E-Myth one. Like I, I have a stack of books right now and I thumb through a lot of them. But, you know, I think that's typical of entrepreneurs and small business owners is they get a book and then they it's too hard to put into into place. But I think this one and I know a lot of John C. Maxwell books, too, are the same way. So definitely check those out. I've got the book. It's called What's the Secret in Big Letters. And then the subtitle is To Providing World-Class Customer Service by John DeJulius III. So that's it. I'm in the middle of reading it now, cool. about halfway done. And it's awesome uh, because we, you know, we all, whether we personally deal with customer service or have a team, customers are what drive every business in our economy. And so knowing how to service clients in a way that keeps them coming back is phenomenal. So what's a secret? That's a great business book that literally... You know, the emith is theoretical. Uh, John C. Maxwell is as how to be a good leader, but this is like applicable business, you know, implementational strategy. So, so that's a good business book for you. So it looks like you've probably had dinner with Jordan and maybe with Gary. So with a lot of those are some people that a lot of our listen listeners have mentioned who they'd like to have dinner with. But if you could have dinner with any business business owner, who would it be and why? Any business owner. Let me ask you this: Do they have to be alive? No, huh? Okay, I'd probably want to meet with Henry Ford. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, Henry Ford. Uh, you know, everyone knows Ford Motors, but if you follow his story, man, talk about overcoming challenges. Sure. And, and he was so far ahead of his time. He ran his company in the early 1900s, like we should be running our companies today. And I remember reading a story of of John. Um, or sorry, John of Ford of Henry Ford. I'm still looking at the book cover. Sorry, of Henry Ford, <laughs> where uh, they literally took him to court and were essentially asserting that he was stupid. They yeah. were basically saying you're like you're too incompetent to do what you're talking about doing. That's crazy. And his response was awesome. And I don't remember it word for word. I read this, but he essentially said, "In my office, I have a panel of electric switches, and if I flip any one of those switches, someone who is the most brilliant mind in the world will walk into my office with all the answers. So why should I fill my mind with with meaningless information or something like that? Or yeah, why yeah, yeah. should I why should I fill my mind with, I forget the adjective, but blank information when I surround myself with the people who have it all? And literally the court was like, case dismissed. Yeah, right. And it's so it's like, awesome. I don't like, need to. Yeah, no, that's what we're talking about today too. It's like, look, surround yourself with people that are better and smarter than you are. You have access and capabilities to all those people. So yeah. I just slaughtered that and didn't do it any credit, but it was pretty yeah, yeah. powerful. Because even back then, you know, electric switches was like so revolutionary. <laughs> he can just press a button and someone walks in, wow. his accounting team or someone else walks in his engineer, whoever it is that's an expert. And so he's like, I don't need to know any of this. I'm surrounded by people who do. And literally the court like had nothing else to say. So I would want to go to lunch with that guy or dinner or whatever you asked. Good thing. he could, If he would have had a mic, he could have dropped it right there. Yeah. Boom. So yeah, that's cool. I love hearing stories about Henry Ford because obviously we're you know very close to Detroit and we've got a big plant here in Lansing too. So in Michigan, the auto industry is very close to our hearts. And one of the things that he said, I'm sure you've heard this quote too, is um, he was you know he was really forward thinking because he said if people ask me what they wanted, they would have said, "Well, build a faster horse." Right. And so, but he decided to build a car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he gave people something that they didn't know they needed. That's yeah. Steve Jobs has something Steve, similar to that exactly. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he took that from there. So yeah, same thing. We didn't even know we needed an iPod. Yep. But we need them. Yep. If you uh, if you watch the movie of uh, I know there's two Steve Jobs movies out, but the first one with um, Ashton Kutcher, there's a scene where he's frustrated. I think pacing in his his parents' front yard on the phone, and he's yelling at someone who's turning him down, saying like, "How can you tell me that people aren't going to want something they don't know they need, or that doesn't they don't know exists that they don't even know they need? Something like that." And it's yeah. same same concept. Like he was innovating and creating the home computer, which people didn't want because they didn't realize they needed it. No. So what technology app or some software that we that you use every day that you can't live without, Cole? You know, as, as unsexy as this is, just Google Calendars is my life right now. Yeah. I have, back to the outsourcing, I have several teams for several reasons. I have my real estate team. I have, um, you know, my PR team who set this up with us. I have right. my uh, Thrive team, etc. And 
it's impossible to communicate to everyone. Like someone say, hey, cool, you're free at 12.15 tomorrow. I don't even know if I'm free at 12.15 because someone else might have booked me for something. And so by just using a Google Calendar that everybody has access to, I literally the night before see what I'm up to the yep. next day. And there can't be any you know complaining about, oh, you were supposed to be available because they should have checked the calendar. So as unromantic and not revolutionary as that might be, Google Calendars is how I literally run my life right now. And then I block time. Like yeah, if I know yeah, I'm yeah. going to spend some time with my wife, I just, I just literally write the word block, B-L-O-C-K, and block out however much time I need, and they know that that time's off limits. So. Yeah, and I, I like that too, and that's I would say the same thing if somebody asked me, because that was the best thing that we did here as a business, and for personal life too, because I do the exa- same exact thing, and when Esther booked the show, I didn't really have to do anything. I just said, she asked, I said yes, and the next thing I know, it's on the calendar. Yep, that's the same with me. I mean, how cool morning, is that, right? And at 1 p.m. Pacific time, I'm talking to you. So, yep. so, and then everything else this morning and this afternoon was scheduled around it. So, yeah, absolutely, I would recommend Google Calendars if people don't use that yet. You know, grow into it. But uh, that's that's my app or my software that I would recommend. Yeah, and blocking out time is important too. And I'm so glad when I did that. Like, I have a basketball game to take my son to tonight, and there's, and I forgot since they're off school now that they're off. And I forgot last week to take a day off or a day. I usually try to do one or two days off in the summertime, at least, you know, in the middle of the day, because well, they sleep pretty late. So it doesn't really have to be first thing in the morning. But I forgot to put that in the calendar. And so this week got booked up. So I purposely looked at July and put on days and now no one can book anything on those days and I have to be there. So it's almost like a meeting I have to be at. I have to be home to hang out with the kids. Totally. Yeah. It's a good way for work-life balance for sure. All right, man, before we get to the last question, how do we best get in touch with you? Who should get in touch with you? How do we find about um, the conference and where should we find stuff on Cole? So conference is simple. It's just attendthrive.com. That's just attend like, hey, I want to attend. Attendthrive.com. And um, you know, more around kind of what we had this conversation of 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 structuring and building a four purpose business. I actually recorded, I think it's about fifteen to eighteen minutes long of video kind of break, breaking down the overview of what it looks like to do that. So if someone wants to download that for free, they can just go to attendthrive.com forward slash friends, like you and I are friends. And uh, not only will they be able to see about the event, but they can just download that. It's complimentary, obviously. And so it's a video and a, and a PDF that gives them the step-by-step process of how to build a for-purpose business. Um, and as far as contacting me, the easiest way is just social media at Cole Hatter for everything. So Snapchat, Twitter, etc. Just one word, Cole Hatter, my name for everything. Facebook, all across the boards, just Cole Hatter, one word. Cool. All right, man. Last question, but it's a big one. What do you think? And I probably can answer this, but what do you think and what do you hope your legacy will be? Uh, yeah, I'm sure you can figure that out. Um, I would say that I didn't just make money, but that I made a difference and that my time on this earth meant something and mattered to others. That, uh, that what I did was actually noticed, and I didn't just tiptoe to my grave and arrive safely, but I used my talents and my time wisely to do something that mattered to others, and even after I was gone, continued to work well for the world. Well, Cole, man, I appreciate that. I love what you're thinking about, and, and we've heard some of your backstory, and, and you guys should definitely research Cole a little bit to see if what he went through to get to where he is today. Um, if you're complaining and you don't think you can go further, read Cole's story. Um, check out what he's done and what he's gone through to get where he is today. Check out Thrive. Cole, thank you so much for spending time with us on the business machine today, man. Brian, it's been my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. All right. And that was Cole Hatter. And he has just been a great guest for us. And definitely check him out. We'll put it out all in the show notes. Check out Thrive. And make sure that you subscribe to our podcast and listen to us on iTunes. We're all over the place. Thanks for joining us, you guys. I'm Brian Town, the CEO of Michigan Creative and host of The Business Machine. And remember, a good leader makes everyone around him or her better than they are. Thanks, guys. We'll see you later.